The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It's um, really lovely to see you tonight. And I'm always so happy to see uh, more and more people showing up in the, in the physical Zendo and uh, hope to join you there soon. Um, so my name is Echo. For those of you that I haven't met, I'm a senior student here at the Village Zendo. I've been practicing uh, with the Village Zendo for a very long time and um, uh, hope to practice for a long time to come. Uh, I am currently in Chautauqua, New York, which is over in the western part of the state um, uh, in a community called Chautauqua that's been around for about 150 years and uh, just lovely today. It's a beautiful summer day. The um, the air is uh, much, much better than it was yesterday. I'm, I'm afraid we've sent all that smoke down your way, but um, it, will get, it will get better. Uh, but it's it's so hard to sit inside and look outside and uh, see how beautiful it is and, and to be afraid to breathe. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that's happening for all of us. And, and yet it is still a beautiful summer day. Uh, I was just sitting uh, here during our Zazen and you know, there must be a thousand different colors of green outside my window. It's just, just lovely. So um, I, I think it's extraordinary that we've evolved this way to connect with Zoom and Teams and FaceTime, that we can, we've, we've evolved a way to connect and support each other. And uh, we did it at almost exactly the time when we needed it the most. Uh, and uh, it's what makes all, all of this possible. It certainly makes a lot of my work possible and in many ways a lot of my life possible to be able to connect um, not as well as face to face but well enough that um, you know I can see for example uh, many faces of people that I know here on the screen and um, you know I, I connect with you in a different way than if I just hear you so uh, it's lovely we have this now I think this is um, recognizing that is uh, is an example of grace and I wanted to talk about grace today because I think it's a, it's a really beautiful word and a, a beautiful state of being. Um, and I, I looked up what grace really is defined as because I was having a hard time saying, saying what it is. And um, the Webster Dictionary says it's unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification, which is a mouthful of words, unmerited divine assistance. And I, I, if I were writing that dictionary, I would say it is universally merited assistance and it is available to all of us, to all humans, this universally merited assistance. Um, but my favorite, my absolute favorite part of the, um, the definition in the dictionary was the fourth definition. And that is, it's a temporary exemption, a reprieve. So it's, it's the reprieve from what, right? Um, it's a reminder of all that is. It's a reprieve from the hungry ghosts of human life. And maybe this is why we say, oh, that was a moment of grace, right? We just had this moment of, of really understanding and, and feeling and experiencing this reprieve from these sort of relentless waves of um, of samsara in human life. And um, so grace is just these moments of remembering and reconnecting. 
Um, I went out on a walk as I try to do most mornings when the air is clear. And uh, I saw a small boy riding his bike in the street near his home. There's a lot of kids riding their bikes in the street here, which makes me happy. And I just had this spontaneous smile, you know, it made me, made me happy. It was a moment of grace. Um, and then on my walk the next day, there was an owl. I have a thing for owls. It was like, ooh, 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 you know, that owl noise. And uh, it was another moment of just sort of bringing me back, um, getting out of my own way. Just something, something about those moments. Or when I walk down the stairs in the morning and I have a quiet kitchen and I walk in and to make my morning coffee, just that moment of sort of arriving, um, it's grace. And so I've been sitting with grace as I was thinking about and, and writing this talk. And, and I realized there's something underneath grace. So um, I, it's not just grace itself, but that at the root of all grace is, is gratitude. And if I don't have gratitude, I can't recognize the grace. Without gratitude, I don't recognize the grace. Um, I suspect this is what makes gratitude practices really strong and popular. You know, there are pages and pages of gratitude practice results on Google search and hear people talking about their, their gratitude practices. But I think it's also popular because there's this felt positive reinforcement, this reprieve, the form of experiencing gratitude, and almost everyone can feel it. And certainly our hearts go out to those who can't. So I realized that gratitude is this big, wide open Dharma gate for me. It's uh, not hard for me to access if I allow myself to experience moments of grace, not getting in my way quite so often. Um, I can even look for moments of grace. I know a lot of people do keep a gratitude journal recording each day what they're grateful for, or maybe starting each day with that. I don't do that, but I, I often think about as I fall asleep in the evening, what I'm grateful for. Uh, and I, I know that has an impact on me. We actually also do it at the village Zendo with our meal chant, right? 72 labors brought us our food. We should know how it comes to us. Why should we know how it comes to us? So we can be aware of our interconnectedness and be grateful for it. Be grateful for those 72 labors for the labors, some of which I'm sure were joyful and some of which I'm sure were not. Um, there's a TED talk by a guy named Ed Gavagan. And if you had told me 20 years ago in, in the process of giving a Dharma talk, I'd talk about a TED talk, I wouldn't have believed you. <laughs> there's a TED talk, Ed Gavagan. So Ed was challenged by his son to thank all the people responsible for his morning coffee. Um, Ed would say something like, I'm really grateful for my morning coffee. And the son said, yeah, well, why don't you thank the people who brought it to you? So Ed actually set out to do that in person. Uh, he thanked the driver. He thanked the people that paved the road. He thanked the people that made the asphalt. He thanked the woman who was the pest control person in the coffee warehouse where it was stored. Um, uh, so you get the idea. But he ended up thanking over a thousand people. Uh, who were connected with, with making his morning coffee possible. Uh, and he said it helped him focus on the 10,000 things that go right every day. Um, he learned a lot doing it, including the fact that the more he was focused on being grateful, the more he wanted to be of service. 
He says, I'm not Mother Teresa. I'm a still a selfish bastard, but I'm better than I was. So this gratitude has shifted his perspective. It shifted his actions. And in fact, it has really impacted his life. And while I haven't thanked a thousand people for a morning coffee yet, it's my experience too. So just thinking about how my breakfast foods come to me, right? I'm sure it's not all springtime in the Alps and sound of music, right? Maybe the dairy farmer didn't feel like milking the cows the morning that my butter was made or, or helping the cow through a difficult pregnancy or, or dealing with the bank whenever the dairy prices are depressed and the mortgage was due. Um, or thinking about the person that works in the factory that makes my cashew milk. I hope it's bright and well lit. I hope the journey to work wasn't too arduous for them. I hope they work with a team that they like and respect. I hope the pay and benefits are good. But are they? Maybe they are and maybe they're not. I, I don't know. I can just be grateful to them for, for doing whatever they had to do to make it possible. There's a real growing body of evidence that increased employee engagement translates into increased customer satisfaction. So I work a lot with teams and organizations and um, uh, employee engagement is something I can I know a fair amount about, uh, but I absolutely believe that the more engaged someone is, uh, engaged in a, uh, in a way that uses more of their selves, where they feel respected, where they know their work is making a difference, that that absolutely translates into customer satisfaction. That, of course, gets measured in today's world because it has a tangible financial outcome. That's the stuff we measure. Um, but increased human engagement doesn't get studied as much, but it's pretty easy to draw a line that when I'm more satisfied and more grateful, that gratitude has an impact. Um, gratitude, even, even for feeling pain, although not usually in the moment, uh, much like Ed, I'm, I'm not Mother Teresa, um, but what if we didn't feel pain, right? Would I ever have discovered the village Zendo? Uh, would I ever have walked in that door if I didn't have some pain in my life? I don't think so. Um, I have a pretty high tolerance for pain, both physical and mental. Um, but I was at a place in my life where I was right on the, just past a place of being completely burnt out. I had a big high stress job. I overworked for a long time. I loved my work, but I just, I overdid. And uh, uh, work will always expand it to take the space allotted to it, take the time allotted to it. And I, I overgave. Uh, and as a result, I opened a space uh, that, that needed to be filled. And I, I, found, I found Zen to help, to help me fill it. And all these years later, uh, could I be more grateful? Could not be more grateful for my practice and for the support I've had from, from this organization and from our Sangha. Um, as my mother said, if I think about my life, my mother's, mother's just so wise in hindsight. She said, if you had to choose someone else's troubles, you never would. You'd always choose your own. And as I think about other people in my life, I know that's true. I can be grateful for my life and that I can help others and that I can also give others the gift of accepting help from them. That's really, really hard thing for me to do is, is accept help, but it's a gift that we give to other people. Uh, and it's a lifelong lesson for me to learn and work on. So when I find myself a little overwhelmed or impatient or complaining or sharp with someone, that's my cue 
do I always take my cue? I do not. <laughs> but the more I take the cue, the more I see it and the more opportunities, large and small, um, I see just take the cue. Um, I'm not grateful for every encounter. I don't see grace in every moment. Um, I asked Roshi Inkyo once about this and she said, sometimes things are just so bad that you have to take action. Because I was like, well, you know, we should be accepting things are as they are. And she's like, no, sometimes things are really bad and you have to take action. Uh, and I sat with this and as I understand it, well, that's actually a service response, right? That is the, that is the response of service to the whole to take action uh, for things that are, that are that bad. And then to remember to be grateful for the opportunity to do that, which is what I think for me, having human life is all about. Um, so gratitude turns eventually uh, into recognizing there's underlying impulse towards service. And I'm a big believer in, you know, fake it till you make it. So if you're not feeling that impulse towards service, I think the more grateful you are and the more service you do, the more you will, come, you will see that those things are, are entwined. Um, you sort of notice what happens, how you feel uh, when you are of service. Um, David Stendhal Rast, who's a monk and quote interfaith scholar, uh, talks about gratitude and specifically its relationship to happiness. Uh, in a talk he gave, he says, it's not happiness that makes us grateful, but gratefulness that makes us happy. It's not happiness that makes us grateful, but gratefulness that makes us happy. For me, it's mostly the little stuff that feels most rewarding and reinforcing, you know, these small, tiny moments in my, in my everyday life, like the kid on the bike or the, or the owl. But it's my understanding that uh, human, my human motivation for acting uh, and for all humans, as I understand it, is acting in my best self-interest. Um, it's actually what we see is our perceived best self-interest, right? And that perception can change over time, uh, particularly as we realize our interconnectedness. I still love Thich Nhat Hanh's phrase, interbeing. But as we, as we understand our interconnectedness, we, our, our perception of what's in our best self-interest changes. Uh, because it gets outside of our small selves and we see our best self-interest in our larger selves. So gratitude for our lives, understanding bit by bit our true selves helps us consider other perspectives and, and that we should, we should and can be vehicles for service. Um, I've said this before, but I'm going to repeat it because it was really impactful for me. I once asked Bernie Glassman in Dokusan, if it was all about just experiencing life as it is, because I thought I had unraveled this great secret on my, on my cushion during session. And he said, yes. And I'd have to say it's really all about service. Wise man. Wise man. Uh, so then I have to ask myself, how can I be of service? Uh, and how fortunate am I that this is my work, right? That I have the opportunity to ask, how can I be of service? Sometimes it's just being the person that someone else gets angry at. Um, I was a hospice volunteer for a time. And part of our training was be prepared for people to be angry at you because sometimes you're the only person they can be angry at. They can't get angry at their family. They can't get angry at their doctor. But you walk in the room and they can be angry at you. 
And that happened more than once. Uh, and I was very happy to have had the, the training and the understanding about what was going on. Um, but mostly it's, um, you know, it's, it's either help, helping someone see something different or asking a question that points or, or sometimes just listening um, or sitting with someone. But our practice is to realize that there's no separation in any of this. The talking can point, but the realization is always in the moment. And allowing yourself the moments of grace that are always, always present. And hungry ghosts are also everywhere, right? Hungry busyness is my, is my biggest ghost. And hungry ghosts are for me, what I think is the, the way things that get in the way of me seeing, seeing the grace in my life. And busyness, my, my own big ghost, you know, is often my own form of, of FOMO, right? Takes over. I'm afraid I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss out on something big that I really wish I had done or someone I'd really met or someplace I'd gone. Uh, and so I get over busy. Uh, and then I don't see the grace and I don't see the opportunity for gratitude. And knowing this, I can at least breathe. I can double down on my zazen when I'm over busy. I can connect our sangha and almost always grace and gratitude find a way back in. Uh, uh, Roshi Jum Halifax says, sometimes our ability to give and receive gratitude is blocked by the mind of poverty, a state of mind and heart that has nothing to do with material poverty. When we're caught in the mind of poverty, we focus on what we are lacking. We feel we don't deserve love and we ignore all that we have been given. The conscious practice of gratitude is the way out of the poverty mentality that erodes our gratitude and with it our integrity. She says, in order to counter any discouragement I might feel at the end of the day, I take time to recall with gratitude all that has been given to me. The Buddha was also clear that gratitude is an expression of integrity. Uh, it's written that he said, now what, is, now what is the level of a person of no integrity? A person of no integrity is ungrateful and unthankful. This ingratitude, this lack of thankfulness, is advocated by rude people. It is entirely on the level of people with no integrity. A person of integrity is grateful and thankful. This gratitude, this thankfulness is advocated by civil people, it is entirely on the level of people of integrity. And so to close, more gratitude for our teachers, for our lineage, such as Maizumi Roshi, who tells us to appreciate our life appreciate our life as opportunity. Preparing a Dharma talk for me is a lot like sitting on a dokusan line. There's this intensity and a focus that's really special and helpful. Um, and in my case, the Dharma talker gains, gains as much or more than those who hear the talk. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share this space with you. Thank you. <laughs>